Hi, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that all content that is found in our podcast is created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving. It's your host, Poonam, here with a very special guest, Ashi Malhotra. Today, we are going to talk about minority mental health and why it's important to be aware of your mental health and what to do in times of need. Welcome, Ashi. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Before I ask you a few questions, please introduce yourself and tell us more about you and what are you doing currently? Hello, Poonam. Uh, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Ashi. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a proud rescue dog mom and wife. I'm originally from Vancouver, BC, but for the past five years, I've been living in Chicago. Um, although my background is in healthcare, I'm actually currently working at Cisco, which is an IT company, as a customer success manager. Now, outside of my work, I enjoy being outdoors and in nature. I love being active. Um, that could be any form of movement, really. I enjoy reading, dancing, volunteering, and most of all, I love spending time with my dog, Parker. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm super excited to know that you have exposures to multiple countries and culture. You're born and raised in Canada, now living in the United States. So let's go back to the topic of this podcast. Did you go through any mental health challenges growing up in Canada and now when you are living in the United States? Yes, um, I've actually gone through and continue to go through my share of mental health struggles and challenges. I think it's really important for me to take this moment and just first call out that I am living in recovery. And so to me, that means that there is no cure for my diagnosis, but rather I have learned to manage and cope with my symptoms through treatment. And sometimes, despite all my efforts to stay healthy mentally and to prevent a relapse from occurring, I do go through another episode. There will always be ups and downs in my recovery. Now, the second thing that I actually wanted to share is the complexities that came along with my intersectionality of being a woman of color, being a child of immigrant parents, and navigating um, all my Asian-ness, specifically my South Asian culture, um, all the nuances alongside those of the Canadian and for those that are listening um, who can identify but from an American aspect, the American culture. 
So for example, the pressure to make something of myself because my parents have given so up, they've given up so, so much for me to have a better life or the pressure of education and performance and career and marriage, you know, plus the differences in my cultural practices, um, our language, food, clothing, and just the expression of who I am. And coupling that with the stress of societal pressures and the reputation um, being such an integral part of my upbringing that's deeply rooted as part of the South Asian culture. Yep, I can hear you, Ashi, and I can relate with you because I'm also a parent of two children. Um, so what you went through, I can see pretty much my kids are also experiencing the differences in cultural background and many more things. But I wanted to ask you, compared to those in other racial or ethnic backgrounds, Asian Americans are least likely to receive mental treatment. Only 20% of Asian adults with a mental illness received treatment in 2020, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI. And this is due to many systemic barriers worsened by stigma and lack of culturally appropriate and integrated care. And we were talking about some of the nuances. Did you face any barriers while taking care of your mental health challenges? Yes, I definitely did. And in fact, to your point, studies have shown that while people of color require mental health care proportionate to the white population, they're much less likely to receive mental health treatment. And the cause of disparity ranges really from lack of insurance coverage to cultural stigma to being able to speak languages different than English from a provider's perspective to a scarcity of um, BIPOC or people of color mental health providers. So for many people of Asian cultures, stigma is actually the largest barrier to mental health treatment. And now stigma is actually the feeling of shame or disgrace because of your mental health diagnosis or symptoms that really causes you to feel excluded from your community or discriminated against. The Asian community actually has high amounts of depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses, just like other communities. But because of stigma, we often do uh, not receive the help because people are really afraid of what others might say or think if they find out um, or if they're, you know, find out that they need help or if their family member is seeking professional medical help. They're just really afraid of being looked down upon or perceived as weak. And it really just ties back to my earlier point about the reputation and that's such an integral part that's built into the Asian community and really not wanting our reputation to be negatively affected. Also, often our communities don't even have the proper language to describe mental health symptoms, such as depression, anxiety. And when we're not able to verbalize how we feel, that can really lead to us being in a dark and lonely place. 
you know, we still have a lot of work left to do in terms of education and really helping the BIPOC communities understand the science be uh, behind our brain, which is essentially just an organ, and pathology, the, the deep disease function of that organ, and how that can cause the brain to really dysfunction at times. Honestly, my whole thing, and I always say this, is that mental illnesses are like physical illnesses, such as diabetes or heart disease. It just impacts the brain, and it has nothing to do with willpower or thinking positively. And so some of the barriers that I actually encountered when I was receiving treatment was not being able to explain what is wrong with me. You know, why am I so sad and suicidal when I have everything I could want? I never had any financial stresses because of my parents. I was very grateful. I've always had, you know, all the materialistic things that you can imagine. Never had to worry about food, about shelter, clothing. So yet, why am I feeling suicidal? Why do I want to die? It was very hard to explain that because I was always told, you know, to compare my life to others who have it worse. And that actually made me hate myself and what I was going through even more. Another one was that I was told to keep the fact that I was in therapy and taking antidepressants a secret from everyone in our society. And it made me feel like my parents were ashamed of me and I was fundamentally broken. Another barrier that I faced was being told that I just needed more willpower and I needed to think positively and everything will be okay and I will be okay. And none of those were actually ever helpful statements. In fact, it was more harmful and it really delayed my recovery. And for actually a more recent barrier, I would say that the lack of culturally competent professionals in the mental health mental health care field um, is a huge barrier because there's a lack of people of color and actually even men as therapists, you know, to to be quite frank. And so without that cultural competence. I do end up wasting a lot of time explaining the norms of my culture instead of getting right to the core issue with my therapist. So, for example, um, that it's actually quite normal to not work in high school or not pay for my education when you're part of the South Asian community and living in Canada or America, like our parents don't expect that. Um, and that often we only just have a short list of careers that we have to choose from, or that my parents showed affection in a very different way and not that Western traditional um, way of showing affection through physical affection of, you know, hugs and kisses for each other or even for us that that was not something that was normal in our house, but I do spend a lot of time first trying to normalize my culture um, before we even get to the core of the issue. So that that those were just some of the barriers that I have faced. And I know that um, our communities um, of Asian descent um, tend to face. Ashri, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your challenges, barriers, stigma, like as you said, we have a lot of work to do 
but i wanted to ask you so how did you get help did you choose a therapist for yourself and what was your criteria for choosing a therapist yeah so actually great question because until recently i've never chosen my own therapist um it was mostly referrals by my um, family doctor or pcp and I've never really cared about who the therapist was in terms of their race, their cultural competence, or their gender even. But as I'm getting older and I've realized that um, I want something different, so like just the last six months, I actually have a new therapist who is South Asian and um, a woman, and it was my first time after actually 10 years of therapy on and off that I really wanted something different and I wanted more for myself. You know, really wanting someone who gets it and understands it. I, I can already see a difference in terms of certain topics like religion or spirituality beliefs, cultural practices, because she is also of South Asian descent, she understands. And so it's, it just makes the session for me a lot more beneficial and um, therapeutic. Furthermore, um, maybe next time, I think I would like to even see a second generation South Asian um, like, like myself who really understands the pull of two cultures while growing up. So I remember when I was growing up, I really hated my culture and I hated myself a lot during elementary and high school. And it wasn't really until my early 20s that I began to appreciate the beauty of my culture. And that had a lot to do with just really wanting to fit in with white people. So there's still some stuff to definitely unpack there, which I think um, if I was to find um, a South Asian therapist who was a child of immigrant parents like myself, it would be, that would be like my next thing and, you know, try to unpack some of the stuff there. You know, I'm, I'm glad actually you did find a South Asian descent therapist and I'm sure, you know, you will find second generation also, but I'm wondering how has therapy helped you in your daily life? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's been tremendously helpful. It's actually given me the belief that I can live a purposeful and meaningful life. It's given me confidence that I can utilize my skills and coping strategies when I need them. For me, it's an outlet every single week to vent, to laugh, to cry. And most importantly, I get to share the good and the bad of that week. You know, therapy has really given me also a lifestyle change. Um, it was one of my first therapists where I started to form some really pertinent habits um, that I developed into a lifestyle that was really important for me to mitigate or prevent mental health uh, episode relapses. So some of those things are actually exercise. Exercise is really deeply rooted in, in how I balance my mood and keep it regulated. Food and nutrition is another one of those 
where I try to make sure that I'm, you know, um, eating whole, wholesome, nutritious foods because ultimately what I put in my body really impacts my mood again. Um, sleep is another one, sleep hygiene, making sure that I am getting a full night's rest and that it's consistent as in going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time. And this definitely affects my mood as well, but also during sleep, that's when we really regenerate ourselves. It's so important for us. Um, and lastly, meditation and just being more mindful of my life. I tend to live in the past, which is my depression, or in the future, which is my anxiety. And so for me, um, I, in order to find peace, I find that when I am in the present moment, I am more peaceful and I am more calm. So this is where meditation comes into play. And I try to meditate just 10 minutes every single day using an app on my phone. And I do all of these things to just make sure that I am trying to maintain um, a healthy brain. Um, and like I said, it was actually one of my therapists who shared that with me in the very, very beginning of my therapy journey, which was ultimately very huge and just, you know, impacting my life in like these four major dimensions has made a world of a difference. Now, the only constant in life for me is change. And also with that, just this acceptance, right? This acceptance that impermanence is the only thing that's guaranteed to us actually brings me a sense of peace. And I know that right now, today, I'm actually in a really good and happy place, but tomorrow it may not be. And that's totally okay too. I have my sources of support. I've got my therapist, which is a really big one for me. And um, I am resilient and I'm learning skills and strategies. And I know that I will recover. And all of this actually came to me with therapy. So it's been definitely a journey, but it's helped me a lot in my daily life. I'm super glad to know that, Ashi, you do have good therapist, you have support system, you're at happy place, and nobody knows about the future, right? And I really loved your that advice, like the law of impermanence, right? The change is the only constant. So live in the moment. Let past be past. Do not worry for future. Let it unfold itself. So wonderful advice is, I wanted to ask you one more question. Do you have any message for our teens who might be listening to this podcast and maybe going through a similar situation or the differences cultural or you know that fit in pressure you felt so anything you can share with our teens yeah um i've messaged to you anyone who's listening and has gone through a similar situation or is going through a similar situation i just want to say to you that i've been there and it's terrifying to initially ask for help because you have no idea how it's going to be taken by the person that you end up sharing it with. And so I would say to you, go to someone that you really trust and you admire. This could be any trusted adult in your life, a family member, a teacher, one of your coaches, a cousin, a friend, a neighbor, maybe a school counselor or your family doctor. Anyone that you really trust, and I think that's the key. And just know that only when you tell someone do things start to get better afterwards. Seek 
the help, even though it's terrifying. I'd also say I remember feeling so unworthy, so hopeless, unloved, completely invisible. I felt like a huge failure and just a ginormous burden for my family. And if you can resonate with any of these feelings that I'm sharing right now, let me tell you, you are not alone in feeling those, but you are also not any of those things. And that's really ultimately your mind playing tricks on you because the brain is unhealthy right now. That's all. That's all it is. It's just your organ that needs treatment right now. And I want you to know that you are worthy and you do matter and you matter to so many people around you. And even though I do not know you, you matter to me. Oh, she very, very powerful message. Thank you so much. And I wanted to ask you one more question. Any message for our parents who are raising their kids in different countries, culture, without knowing, you know, they might be doing some harm. So how can they support their children better? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really great question. And, you know, sometimes I wish my parents knew better. So I will start off by saying that, you know, as a first gen, like navigating the intersectionality of our Asian culture and then also the American American culture um, can be very beautiful, absolutely. You know, as we develop a personal relationship and just the mosaic of what our two cultures the blend can be, but more often than not, when you're young, it's actually a very difficult journey to navigate. I remember truly just hating parts of my culture and being ashamed of my name, the smell of our food, the amount of hair on my body. And that was simply because I just did not fit in and I looked different and I behaved different and I just wanted so badly to fit in because life would just be simpler or so I thought. And it's really taken me years to fall in love with this piece of art that I am. And I'm still working on a lot of the self-love and self-compassion. I would encourage parents who are listening to really communicate with their children about emotions and feelings and mental health, you know, things that we tend to actually shy away from as a society. It's time to normalize the conversations at home. Listen to your children. And what I mean is actively listen to them and truly hear their perspective. Don't listen to just speak. You know, try to avoid some statements like just think positive or use your willpower or you have so much to be grateful for. I don't understand why you're feeling this way. Or the very worst was, you know, the comparing, look at your cousin who is doing these courses and getting these grades, just all of that. Just, if you can stop comparing, that would be huge. I find that ultimately none of this is helpful. And in fact, actually just makes things worse. I can empathize that it's definitely hard for immigrant parents to make these changes since really, you know, they grew up in a different time and culture and country. But now that you're here 
it's really important to acknowledge and accept that your children's lives and experiences are vastly different than yours. The last thing I would like to share is education. So I firmly believe that education is the antidote to ignorance and ignorance cannot be used as an excuse forever. So please take the time to educate yourself through any means. There are so many ways. We have YouTube, TikTok videos, books, podcasts, um, and a really good resource could be to connect yourself to your own um, family doctor, a professional, a provider, um, or a South Asian therapist. If you yourself are struggling with parenting, I think that those could be really helpful um, resources. Thank you. Thank you so much. I learned a lot from you recording this podcast. I'm sure our parents who are or our teens who are listening to this will learn a lot and have that courage to ask for help and change their lifestyle as you did. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Thank you so much for having me, Poonam. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And the last thing I just want to reiterate before we end is for anyone who's struggling, your life matters. You do matter. Just know that. Thank you. Thank you again. You are listening to Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every Friday. So make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and thank you so much for listening.